So hi everyone, today I'm speaking with Erin Lowry, who's an author and personal finance expert who helps broke millennials get their financial lives together. Her advice is always practical and realistic and very, very welcome. Erin, hi, so great to connect with you. And what are you doing today of all days? Oh, great question. I feel like that already like put me back on my heels. I'm like, what am I doing today? Well, I did a workout this morning at the gym and uh, just had lunch. And then my husband and I are going to Hades Town tonight. So just trying to like cram all of my work in before we need to leave for the theater. Oh my gosh. Is that a seven o'clock curtain probably? It's 730 because it's Wednesday and they had a matinee. <laughs> oh, see, big, big day for them. So what kind of what kind of workout? Like a strength situation, strength training? So it's going to sound like I'm evangelizing for them, which I'm not. But I go to Orange Theory, which can be a little culty depending on the person. <laughs> some people get really into it, like how some people get like super into CrossFit or like super into different types of gyms. So I am an Orange Theory person and it's very circuit training focused, so I would describe it. So I'm somebody who has actually done weightlifting previously with a personal trainer and I really enjoy weights, but cardio was a big gap area for me. So this kind of fills both needs as there's weightlifting and cardio work on both a treadmill and a rowing machine, which shockingly, I actually really love the rower more than anything else in the room. And a lot of people hate it. When you come out of Orange Theory, is it sort of like you're riding that high of of an hour of endorphins and, and you're ready to get down to work? Because for me, I remember when I used to take classes, it's a high like no other. It can be. It can also just be really exhausting. I am aggressively not a morning person, which is an <laughs> interesting <laughs> dynamic. And so for me, if I put off going to the gym too late, like I really won't do much work prior, which means that if I'm not getting back to like noon and then I shower and then I have lunch and then I'm like, I'm not actually starting work until two. So I do mm -hmm. like trying to get in there at like 9.45 so that by noon, I'm really settled in and focusing in on getting my work done. But I am just not somebody who has ever been creative or particularly efficient with like an early wake-up call slash getting a bunch of hours of work in in the morning. For some people, that's great. I am not that like, let's wake up at 5 a.m. or kind of person. I totally understand and relate on a very deep level. I wake up my brain around 11 a.m. and then mm -hmm. kind of ease into the day. So, so now that you're back at the desk and sitting down to work, what does that work look like? So usually at least two days of week, it's an intense amount of writing because I am a columnist for Bloomberg. So I file two stories a month, but then also obviously you go through the editing process and it's an opinion centric work, but obviously I do a lot of research to back up what I'm saying. And then I also write a Substack newsletter that goes out twice a week. So working on either of those, email, I feel like dictates so much of my life in the way that everybody's always like, for solopreneurs, it's really important that your inbox not dictate your schedule. And I was like, well, sometimes it does. <laughs> and right now I am working on the fourth part of the Broke Millennial series, which is going to be a workbook. So I just got the typeset pages for final review before it goes to print. So working my way through that too quite an array of projects. It sounds like that requires a lot of idea generation, both for your column and the newsletter. I mean, are you looking at questions you're getting from readers, questions that are being posed in the conversation right now? How are you tuning into what people need to hear right now? 
So it is a really big mix of what people are emailing me or DMing me about often can lead to story ideas. Sometimes I just kind of troll around on personal finance Reddit. Trolling is probably the wrong word to use because I don't ever post on it. (laughs) Just (laughs) look. (laughs) Because there are certain niches within Reddit that I think are incredibly helpful and supportive. And, you know, overall, it can kind of get a bit of a bad rap. But seeing really what is cause for concern with different folks, also seeing what hits and what doesn't with even what I send out with the newsletters. And I also poll people and ask like, hey, here's four different topics. Which of these do you guys want to hear more about? But what's interesting with the Bloomberg pieces, every once in a while, my editor will bring something up to me that they've discussed internally and think that I might be the right fit for. But a lot of times it's a personal pain point that I'm having and kind of want to explore more or that friends of mine are having and I want to explore more. A recent story was me kind of walking back a stance I had for him a year ago about like, I'm a diehard renter. Yeah. And now I'm like, actually, maybe I need to buy a house. Rent is just getting so out of control. But how do you buy a house when you live in New York City? So just kind of talking through those two sides of that coin. The rental bubble, I mean, is it going to burst at some point if you can get your crystal ball? Or is it just so many people are still looking for apartments at the moment and inventory is is so low that you know, landlords can just jack up rent by 20% and find someone to move on in. Yeah. And this is largely a national conversation too. I mean, obviously we live in New York. It's very easy to go specific to here, but we're seeing rents increase significantly across the country, not just on the coast either, which I think obviously frequently dominates these conversations. At some point, like it can only do what the market will bear, right? Like at some point, the bubble's going to have to burst. But also what makes me a little anxious for people is if you're overpaying for your apartment and then we hit a major recession, we talk all the time about the housing market and foreclosures. But also if you get evicted from your home that you're renting, it's still just as traumatic. So that is an area that I get a little concerned about because I don't know that we're going to see the same sort of eviction stalls that we saw during COVID. The overall ramifications and implications are pretty heavy as well, because if you're not then paying your landlord, can they afford to pay their mortgage? And it just becomes cyclical. This is a bit of a downer thing to be talking about, but it is very nerve wracking to me in terms of people getting very emotional with the housing market, both for renting and for owning. And if you're paying significantly above what it's worth and you go through any sort of job upset in the forthcoming recession, which we're all pretty much saying with certainty at this point for 2023, that is just something I think everybody needs to be a little cautious about. I know many listeners are sort of, you know, there are a lot of creatives, writers, people with multiple income streams, or what I like to call dramatically uneven income streams. And, you know, you are your own boss as well, an entrepreneur, writer, coach. I guess what is the best way to sort of keep yourself on track when your income already fluctuates month to month, when you're keeping an eye on the fact that one of those streams might be dying up? Look at COVID, like all of the in-person events, speaking engagements definitely went away for two years or pivoted to Zoom. And so, What can people sort of do to protect themselves and protect their money? Yeah, somebody who made a significant amount of my income through speaking engagements. COVID was really scary in the beginning for my income. And I am also the primary breadwinner of my household. So my income bottomed out really fast. Mm. 
But especially for creatives, it gives us an opportunity to innovate in a potentially unique way and to look at our skill sets and figure out how can I still apply this in a way that can bring in and generate income that maybe I had not been thinking about before. For everybody, that's going to look a little different. It might also look like taking a more traditional job for a period of time just to be earning income and paying your bills. But I do think the more you can continue to diversify your income streams in the coming months, the better off you're going to be. So that if one sector of an industry starts to slump, at least 85% of your income is not dependent on that particular sector. So if you're a writer, can you also be editing and copy editing and you know doing other sorts of writing at the same time? Could you coach? Could you teach? Or is there even just a, I hate to word them this way, survivalist kind of job that you can do? Like, could you apply to be on Rover and watch people's dogs? Like, there's just so many different things that a recession is going to look very different from COVID in the sense that we presumably would not be locked down. Going to have new and different opportunities to kind of innovate, ideate, pivot, at least for a period of time. But also the most you can do to shore up your cash reserves in the coming months, the better off we're all going to be to just make sure we've got maybe a higher cash buffer than we were planning to have before. And my final big thing too, as somebody who makes wildly variable income, so some months are phenomenal and other months are like, I technically didn't even make enough money this month to pay all my bills. What I do is I put every single penny that I earn from my work goes into a business checking account. Then every paycheck I get, 40 to 45% gets put in another, a whole separate bank account that mm-hmm. is entitled Uncle Sam's Money. <laughs> and that is the money that I set aside for taxes. But the reason I do such a high amount is one, taxes, two, my LLC fee, three, well, and also like, again, living in New York City, city, state, federal tax. We have a lot of taxes here. But I also am setting money aside for my SEP IRA for my retirement. So that's one thing. Then the remaining 55% stays in my business checking account. So in the really big, like flush boon months, I'm paying myself a consistent salary every single month. So it grows and builds during the boon times. And then during the lean times, I still have a lot of runway in that account. So I can keep drawing on it and paying myself a consistent salary. It just makes it so much easier to plan out my finances and our household finances every single month. What is an advantage to kind of diversifying where you're keeping your money as well? So I've always had savings accounts. I think for me, it was more about getting more aggressive with investing that took me a little bit of time. But I have written about a friend of mine who had like $40,000 in checking. And her bank even was like, hey, girl, let's move some of this into a savings account. I do think a lot of times... People just sort of default, like this is my one bank account is sort of what can become the thought process, especially right now. The one silver lining of inflation, everyone, is that savings accounts interest rates are going back up. At the very least, move your savings into an account that right now when I last checked, which is like yesterday, I think 2.35% APY, which is annual percent yield is how much you're getting. Like, it's not going to make you rich, but it's better than the stock market right now. So just 
putting some of your money into an account, into a savings account. I am somebody who likes the visual separation. That's the other big thing for me. I have, couldn't even tell you, I'm going to say probably 14 different buckets. Like my husband and I, between the two of us, have probably five savings accounts. And then within those savings accounts, money is even bucketed out. So in that aforementioned Uncle Sam's account, that is a savings account, within that account, I have one bucket that says SEP IRA, one bucket that says quarterly taxes, and one bucket that says LLC fee. And I distribute money into each of those so I can also visually see like, all right, I've got enough for my LLC fee this year. Now we can really start just focusing any difference going into quarterly taxes or SEP IRA. So I find that incredibly helpful as opposed to putting every penny I have that's not invested into just one account. I think that becomes very difficult to visualize your progress towards different goals. I think that's a feature a lot of people don't know about, right? Like if you start clicking around on your bank account, you can find those labels to name these different these different buckets, right? You can. And then most, well, and I will say that is a bit specific to Ally in terms of the buckets, but other banks are rolling that out too. The other thing is I have three different banks and they all allow me to change the name of every single account that I have. So like normally when you log in, it says like account number 567309 or something like that. And you can change it to business checking, Uncle Sam's money, allowance, monthly like payment, Japan trip 2025, like whatever you want. I love nicknaming accounts because it's a visual representation. It also can be like a tiny bit of a psychological helper when you have those moments of like, I'm going to skim a little bit out of here today to move over to something that I want to do now. And you're immediately reminded why you are saving that money. Now, it's not a foolproof plan, but it helps. Every little bit helps to kind of try to deter us from being our own worst enemies every once in a while when it comes to our money. And most banks and credit unions will allow you to make the nicknames on your account. So that is one thing I would highly recommend doing. Something that you write a lot about is the psychology around money and the the sort of mental blocks or issues that people might have with, you know, whether it's opening up a retirement account or saving for a big goal or deciding to invest. What would you say to someone who sort of has like a, a money avoidant personality? Because you just said, you know, you checked your account yesterday. You know, I know a lot of people who are like, yeah, I don't I don't want to do that. I'm just going to sort of avoid and hope for the best. How can you sort of get through that block? I would encourage you to start doing some of the deep thinking and deep diving about why you think that block exists. And for a lot of folks, I'm going to say like 99.9% of people, it's because of something that happened in your childhood. We really are starting to codify our relationship with money between, I think, recent studies have been saying the ages of about seven and 12. So those are really key years for how we start to even relate emotionally to money as adults. And so thinking back on what was happening in your household when you were young, how your parents or the people that raised you talked about money, how you had access to money, how money makes you feel then, how money made you, makes you feel now. Did you have less? Did you have more? You know, all of these different things. And also what messages were you told about money? Were you told that it's dirty. It's shameful. It's not something that we talk about. Like we need it as a byproduct of the society we live in, but like, shh, don't tell anyone how much we make or shh, don't talk about it. That's incredibly common. 
but also when it comes to the money avoidance as an adult. I really do believe that you fundamentally have two options, either you're in control or your money is controlling you. And to be avoidant of the full picture is to just be ceding all of this control to your money and to continue the stress cycle for yourself. And listen, it is painful in the beginning. Like I am not going to sugarcoat it. It can be quite an emotional process to finally get a full picture of all of the debt that you might have, how much you're actually spending every month compared to how much you're earning. You know, you might be operating at a loss. Like if we think about ourselves like a business, it is quite possible that you're in a deficit every single month because you're spending more than you're bringing in. And that's information that is critical to be able to start to create a financial plan for yourself. And then I think the other big part is start taking the time to dabble around within the personal finance world, different types of books, different types of podcasts, even like TikTok, Instagram accounts. Although please, for the love of God, go beyond those. They're so short. It's not giving you a whole lot of information, but it can be a nice like starter plate. There is such a wealth and diversity of opinions and people. Someone who has a similar lived experience to you is out there. And that can also be really helpful. We are no longer in a situation where everyone giving the advice kind of looks the same. And also has this very like militant fire and brimstone. You're not allowed to have any fun until you're 100% debt free and you've paid for your house in cash. Like, give me a break. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and so much of that advice is absolutely asinine. It is not realistic of the lives that most of us are living, whether or not you live in a high cost of living area. So really doing yourself the favor of starting to learn more, but also if somebody doesn't connect for you, move on. There is someone else out there giving money advice. Now, don't just go to like crypto bros who are trying to sell you things, but there is someone out there who's giving like helpful, well-rounded, nuanced money advice that can really help you launch your journey. And this is where I will say that everyone should read your books uh, and follow you on Instagram and, and read your Substack because as we've just seen in this conversation, you can present things in such a clear, compelling and accessible way that like it doesn't have to be scary or if it's scary, you at least have your hand to hold throughout this process, <laughs> which I know so many people are grateful for. And so how do you normally wind down at the end of the day since you know, when you're a solopreneur, it's kind of hard to turn things off sometimes. I do try to be really good about putting my phone away from me to be present with my husband. Like during dinner, for instance, it's very much no phones. We put a record on, put the food on the table and then like sit with each other without the presence of phones. I really do try to stay off of any business related social media accounts at that point. I have personal social media that I'll like swipe through reels, which I've cultivated a very nice reality for myself in my personal Instagram. But it's all like Bravo celebrities and dogs as like exclusively <laughs> the reels that are served to me, which is great. And speaking of Bravo, I will probably watch an episode of like The Real Housewives or something like that. Obviously, my husband and I will like watch a show together. And then because we have a dog, we usually will walk her together at night or one of us will like walk her while the other cooks and then walk her together in the evening. That to me, as being a self-employed person who's been working from home for know, like six years at this point, having a dog was a real game changer because forces you to go outside during the day, forces you to go breathe fresh air. 
So uh, if you're on the fence about it, highly recommend. Great for mental health. I'm going to take that under uh, consideration and maybe try to get my cat to go for a walk this afternoon. I've seen it done. (laughs) I don't think she's going to like the harness. Probably not. Thank you. Thank you so much, Erin, for sharing a little bit about your day and definitely helping so many listeners look at their money in a new way, too. So hope you enjoy the show tonight and I'll uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. 